when my wife Christine and I first met, we would write letters to one another. It was this old-fashioned way of communicating where you would take out a piece of paper and a pen and write a letter and send it back and forth. And we still have many of those letters in boxes. But imagine if you were to find some of those letters and to read some of them. But maybe you just found a part of it. Maybe you just found a paragraph in the middle and you'd be wondering, well, what's going on? And some paragraphs might say, oh, well, that that really makes a lot of sense and I can understand what's happening there. But other paragraphs or little lines, you might say, well, I don't know, what's that all about? I don't understand the references. Well, sometimes we do the same thing with our Bibles. We have these letters, particularly in the New Testament, that are letters, they're exactly that. They're written from one person or sometimes a group of people to another group of people. But behind that letter is all kinds of background information, all kinds of relationships, all kinds of previous experiences. And so when we read a letter, we're trying to understand what that is. And even within the letter, we have to pay attention to what the rest of the letter said. And sometimes we like, as followers of Jesus, we find little verses and we like those and we put them on a coffee mug or we put them on a post-it note or we put them on a bumper sticker. We hang them on our wall and, and they're inspiring. And sometimes we take a verse and we just yank it out of the letter and we're not really sure what it means. We want to make it say something but it's hard because it fits in with the rest of the letter. So we've been looking at the book of James, the letter of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, had written this letter to Jewish people scattered all around the Mediterranean, early followers of Jesus, and he was encouraging them what it looked like to walk in the way of Jesus, what the life of faith looked like. And he talked about the challenges of trials. He talked about wisdom, and he talks about the theme of wealth and poverty. And if you were to read the letter from start to finish, which is a great way to do it, or even listen to it, taking maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But you would hear these themes, and James, James is a little different than some of the other letters in the New Testament. So if you've read some of the other New Testament letters, particularly Paul, you feel there's a very logical. It goes from A to B to C, and you see the way things progress, and it all makes sense. James He's kind of here, and then he's over there, and then he's down here, and then he's over here, and he, he moves around. And, but if you pay attention, something he mentions in chapter 1, or what we call chapter 1, those chapters and verses would not have been there originally. When you see those things, you might say, wait a minute, I remember that word from somewhere else. And so what he does is these little word associations. And so we're finishing up this series. But as we look at chapter 5 and verses 13 through 20 to the end, We have to pay attention to what happened in the rest of the letter because some of what he says here, we could read it and we think he's saying one thing, but if we notice the rest of his letter, we see something else. So the start of chapter five, he's talked about the life of patience. He says, we are going to face challenges and trials. And so we need to be patient and patient in waiting for Jesus to come back because when Jesus comes back, all things will be made new. And so we wait patiently And so that's what we talked about last week. And patience, we talked about, is an act of waiting. It's not just sitting there, staring up at the sky, waiting for things to happen. But you wait like a farmer. There's things to do. You're telling people about Jesus. You're working for justice and for mercy. You're waiting patiently like the prophets who spoke about God and focused on God's desires. And you wait patiently like Job with this sense of perseverance. And then he comes to this it seems like conclusion to the letter. And he comes back to 
the issue of troubles and trials. But we notice one thing about James' letter is that if you were to look at the other letters in the New Testament, one of the typical ways in which the New Testament writers end their letters, there's sometimes a series of greetings, but also with a call to prayer. Pray continually, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, or pray at all times. End of Ephesians chapter 6, therefore pray. And so here, James does the very same thing, but he does it a little bit differently. He says, it's actually a bit longer than some of the other ones. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. In other words, when you're having troubles and trials, when you're facing challenges, pray. And this isn't new. He's talked about this before already, but the question is, what do we pray for? What do we pray for in trouble? And James has hinted at that already in chapter 1, very beginning, if we were to go back, very beginning of the series, James talks about what happens when we face trials and temptations. And he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, my brothers and sisters, you should do what? Consider it pure joy. He doesn't say pray to make the trials go away, but he said it says pray for the faith, the perseverance to go through those trials so that God can continue to work in you. He does the same thing later in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, where there's this call for patience, where it's not necessarily a prayer for the trials to go away, but a prayer for strength and patience to go through them. So he comes to this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And so here's this key thing that comes up. He says on the other side, you know, if things are going well, is anyone happy? What should you do? Sing some praise songs. Sing songs of praise. Why? Because we recognize here, if you're in trouble, you need God's help. If things are going well, why is that? Because of God. And so what James is getting at is whatever your circumstances are, whatever is going on, where do we turn our eyes? To God. We turn our eyes to God no matter what the situation is that are going on. And then he says, is anyone among you sick? Same thing. What do you do? You turn your eyes to God. And here's where sometimes we get lost in this because we wonder what's going on. We, we hear this next part and we wonder what James is getting at. He says, is anyone among you sick? This is a chapter 5, verse 14. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And sometimes we get a little tripped up by this whole anointing thing, because all of a sudden it seems like it comes out of nowhere. And it's kind of different, it's kind of a little bit unique, and we say, oh, but if you were to read this passage, to go back and read 5, 13 through 20 again, the word anoint shows up one time, but the word pray shows up a whole bunch of times, I think eight times, I think I counted. And so, all these different times, and so the focus isn't on, don't get hung up on the anointing. That's a part of the prayer, but focus on what James is getting at. What James is getting at is the need to pray. And here it seems like that maybe whoever it is that's sick, they're really, really sick. Why? Because it says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And kind of the inter- over them, we kind of this idea of like, they're laying down in bed and not doing so well. And also the elders are coming to them to pray. And so there's this sense that whoever this is that's calling for prayer 
is desperately sick, but inviting others to pray. And the focus, and then we get to the part, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if we haven't already tripped over the anointing, then we get to this line. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. How many of you have ever known somebody who was sick? How many of you have prayed for them? How many of you have prayed for people who are sick and they didn't get well? So, problem is your lack of faith, right? Maybe. Probably not. I don't think that's what James is getting at. Sometimes people will suggest that, but if we pay attention to what James has been getting at, we can see what he means by what's going on. What does it mean to be offered in faith? And sometimes we think, oh, well, I know what faith is. But we need to let James decide what faith is because James is the one who has been using the word faith. And so as he has gone through and as he has talked about faith, and we don't have necessarily time to look at every single passage, but when James has talked about faith, he's talked about it in terms of not imposing our will on the will of God. You know, so he has talked about faith. The early chapters, he talks about not being double-minded. So part of faith is truly believing that God can heal. But then later on when he talks about faith, he talks about not making plans and recognizing that we submit to the will of God. So I would suggest this, praying in faith is also submission to the will of God. So sometimes God's will, God's plan is that He will heal people, but sometimes it's not. So we pray receptively, not imposing our will, but being open to God's will. We pray confidently, in other words, not double-minded, knowing that God can and does answer His prayer. But this isn't about trying to overcome God or beat God down and wear Him out, but it's just praying confidently. We pray expectantly. Remember, that was the last week's passage of this patience, like Job, or in the story here, in the passage here, James talks about Elijah, and he talks about this strange story about, about rain. So if we go back to our Old Testament, we read the story of Elijah, and he prays for a drought, and the reason for the drought is to get the people of God to repent. And so I have a question for you. If you were praying for a drought how would you know when the prayer had worked? I mean, it, I mean, you pray the first day, no rain. Is that a drought yet? Pray the second. I mean, so it takes a while, doesn't it, to know when that prayer had worked. And so we pray patiently, so it's not always an instant leak. And then at the end of the story, when Elijah prays for rain, to come back to the earth, he prays and there's this whole thing where he sends his servant to run down to the water and look and see if there's any rain clouds coming. It happens seven times before he sees a little tiny cloud floating over the sky. And so James is saying here that prayer of faith, the prayer of faith also requires patience and expectancy. So just as the double-minded wonders if God has the power to perform the miracle, and so we're getting at what this is like. 
So faith is submitting to the will of God. Do we believe that God's plan is the best when we're praying in faith? Are we willing to accept what God does? Do we affirm that it is God alone who heals? Do we believe that God does answer prayers? And so faith isn't just this, like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe really a lot. Faith, as James defines it, is also submitting ourselves to the will of God. So a prayer in faith is a prayer that submits to the will of God. It's not simply, I believe enough or I've got 15,233 people on my prayer chain, so God's got to listen to me. Prayer and faith is a submission to the will of God. Faith is also, as James portrays it, knowing the will of God and living accordingly. He talks about that. Faith is trust. It's obedience. Faith is something that grows. Faith is a gift from God. And so when we find that little verse there that says, when the prayer offered in faith... Go back and read the rest of James and see what faith looks like. Faith is not simply believing hard enough. Faith includes action, it includes trust, it includes submission to the will of God. So when he says prayer offered in faith, in other words, when you're listening to God and you're praying in faith, you're praying in submission to the will of God, and if God's will is to heal, then the person will be made well. But it's not just about believing. So, a couple things on that. When we think about what that means is, one, when someone you pray for doesn't get well, it's not some sort of sign, symbol of like, you're a lousy person. I mean, sometimes we get that where sometimes I've had people say like, oh, I don't know. I prayed, and, and they're still sick, and they start to think that maybe there's something wrong with them, that there's some failing in their faith, that sometimes somehow they're weak, they're somehow, and that's not what you should hear from James here. And you should also not hear from James that what it is is just about believing hard enough and that you just need to believe hard enough, and if you believe hard enough, then God will do whatever you want. This is kind of a what some people would call a name it and claim it, you know, like, that, like, oh, I believe it, so it's true. And that's not what James is saying either here. But he's talking about a submission and prayer and faith is one in accordance with God's will. Faith is what? Is knowing and doing God's will. And so that's what faith is like. But do we have to be some sort of superhero, some sort of super Christian in order to pray in faith? James says no. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But then, verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. In other words, what James wants to get at as we think of Elijah sometimes, these Old Testament people as like these great heroes of these faith, these super people. They had all the powers, and Elijah was the one who called down fire on Mount Carmel. He was the one who heard the voice of God. He went up to heaven in this flaming chariot. But then he says... Elijah was a person just like us. In other words, everyday, ordinary people, just like those of us sitting here at Fruitland Covenant Church or watching online here in Fruitland Township, 
are the same kind of people like Elijah. We too can pray in faith and see incredible things happen. So we think about it. So this prayer is this response, and that's what it's like. And so what is James getting at? What is James getting at? I think he's getting at ultimately the need that whatever the circumstance is, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever circumstance we're facing to, he's inviting us to turn to God. And turning to God as our first response. Sometimes when we turn to God, we, God can become kind of the, the last resort. We do everything else. We try our best. We, we go to our books. We, we listen to our friends. We do whatever it is. We go and we try and figure out everything and we're in this bad situation. And then the last thing we do is we say, oh, maybe I should pray about this. And James is saying, that's the starting place. And this isn't true of everybody. I know many of you and some of you, that is your natural first response. Your natural first response when something goes wrong is to turn and to pray. But for some of us, sometimes it's not. Something goes and we just, we go somewhere else. We can become bitter. We can become angry. We can get into fights with people. We can do all these things. And James is saying, our first response to trouble should be to turn to God. Our first response to the challenges and trials is to turn to God, the one who is, as James describes earlier, the giver of all good gifts, the Father of heavenly lights, the one who pours down His love on us. And so we turn to God in times of trouble. And then the second thing maybe we want to do is remind us that we trust that God knows best. We trust that God knows best. So James is reminding us essentially of three things. One is that God cares for us. You know, that God cares about everything that's going on. He cares about the troubles you're facing. You know, we all have troubles and trials. Sometimes we have a temptation. There's this thing that sometimes when we're going through a difficult time, and I've heard many people say this, they look at their hard thing and they say, oh, but there are other people who have it so much worse. I'm going to ask you, please don't say that. I mean, I, I know where you're coming from, where you're trying to say, but, but the reality is suffering pain isn't a comparison game. Whatever challenge or trial you're facing, going through, whatever grief it is you're experiencing is real. So the grief should not be measured against other things, but against what you previously had. And so we all have troubles and trials. And sometimes we want to put them off again, like I said, and say, oh, but it's been, you know, other people have it so much worse. I don't want you to pretend you don't have troubles. But instead, what I invite you to do is do what James invites us to do. is to say, when we have troubles, when we have trials, take it to God. Now, will God always take the troubles and trials away? No. But He can use those troubles and trials to grow our faith. And so we pray for perseverance. We pray for, again, what? We pray for God's will to be done. So we learn that God cares. We also learn about the power of God. So God's power to change and to heal that God can do like He did with Peter and the disciples in the book of Acts, that God can do what James talks about here, that He can heal and He can raise 
people who are sick. I read a story when I was studying this week, and it was about a pastor. And this pastor was visiting um, a hospital, and he was walking through the hospital. And he was walking through the hospital to go and visit somebody from his congregation. And, and he stopped by, one, he was walking by a room, and there was a woman laying in a bed there. And, and she recognized him. And I don't know if she saw the Bible in his hand or what. She, says, she called out to him. And he stopped and he talked to her and she said, oh, are you a pastor? And he said, well, well yes, I am. And she said, I'm, I'm really sick. Could you pray for me, please? And she said, the book of James says, if you pray, you know, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And he said, okay. And so he walked into the room and he prayed with this woman. And then the woman said, I feel a whole lot better. And she sat up and got out of bed. And the pastor says, he finished his visit, and then he went out to the car, and he said, God, don't ever do that to me again. But it was this sense of, I think he was just overwhelmed by the power of God. He was overwhelmed by the way in which God touched him. And just this amazing thing, a reminder in some sense of who God is, that God is powerful. And we didn't touch on it, but there's also the verse in there where it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And so, just a reminder, not only does God care and that God is powerful, but that God forgives and that we can come to God and seek His forgiveness, that we can ask and we can confess our sins and He is faithfully, is just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, celebrate communion here in just a moment. And as we come to the table, we are reminded of God's forgiveness, that God sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven. So I'm going to invite us just in a moment of silent prayer together. And in that moment of prayer, I would invite you to pray and think about what is it that you need from God right now? Are there trials and troubles you're facing to take them to God? Is there somebody sick that you need to pray for? Or maybe what you need to do is there's something great going on in your life and you can sing silently a song of praise to God. Or maybe what you need is God's forgiveness. And so if you've never asked God for forgiveness, this is the chance to do that, to come and to know that when we come to God and ask for His forgiveness, He will because He is faithful and good and loving. So let's go to God now for a moment of silent prayer.